chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And, and tonight we're going to be talking about um, investment. In investment in not just anything, but specifically investment in people's lives for the purpose of bringing the gospel to them. So why don't we go ahead and read this, and then we'll ask God to bless you upon our time. Starting at verse 1, it says this, You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we had treat, we've been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. And so you can see um, we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you. Or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached the good news to you. You yourselves are witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward, you, toward all of you believers. And, and you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Heavenly Father, thank you again just for this time we have tonight. I thank you, God, for this book that we hold in our hands, God, that's not just any book, not just any words in a page, God, but it's your, your word to us. Your holy word given to our lives, Father, to instruct us, to guide us, to at times convict us, to challenge us, to encourage us. Father God, you know what we need as individuals. God, you know our hearts, you know our lives better than anybody else. So Father God, whatever it is tonight that you need to do in us, I pray you would do it in each one of us, Lord. Heavenly Father, God, you, you, your word tells us that, that you that are, in, that are in us is greater than he who is in the world, Father. So we know that, um, that Satan, God, tonight is going to try to distract. He's going to try to bring um, just anything that can get us off focus. I just pray that you would reign in here. Reign in this building, reign in our hearts, reign in our minds. That, Father, you get the glory out of all of it. And God, let us leave this place challenged, encouraged, but especially let us leave looking more like Christ. Father, we love you. Take over in this time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, so now we're going to be talking about the second part of this series, a series um, um, that we did a number of years ago, but are going to, again, start, we started last week over the next couple of weeks here, called Intercede, Invest, and Invite. And today we're going to be talking about the invest side of this series. Now, when a person invests into something, whether it's the stock market, whether it's real estate, Whatever it is, the purpose of the investment is given in hopes of a good return, something that's, that's profitable, right? Now, when we're investing into the lives of people for the purpose of bringing forth the gospel, we're also, we're also investing for the purpose of a good return. 
for the purpose of a prophet, if you will, but not some selfish prophet, right? Not, not some you know, selfish reason for us personally, not for some financial gain. No, not at all. The, the, the increase that we're hoping for, the profit for God's kingdom that we're hoping for is that as we invest in these people's lives, we bring them the gospel, as they're brought into God's family, they're going to be people that become profitable then to Christ's church and to God's kingdom. This really is the idea of investment when it comes to people's lives. Because if we think about what's valuable to God. Now, you know, here in this world, we could get so distracted by wealth. You know, things that most people invest in, gold and silver and all these different things, right? But, but you know something? That's not what God treasures. He makes streets out of it. He has plenty. He doesn't need gold or jewels or any of these things. No, what's precious to God, what's a treasure to Him are the precious souls of mankind, are the people that he has made in his image, those people that we as God's people here have been called to go out from this place and reach. Now, last week we talked, um, as we started this series, about the importance of intercession, the idea of us going before God on behalf of people, interceding for them in prayer, right? Um, because this, this goal that we have of reaching people with the gospel, it's a goal that comes with intense spiritual warfare on the part of those people we're trying to reach, the Bible says those people are blinded to the, to the, to the truth. They, they, the message of the cross to them is absolute foolishness. And so Satan has these people blind, and so our intercession in prayer is that God would overcome that, that he would open up their eyes, help them to see their need for, for a Savior, that God would soften their hearts so the gospel can, can penetrate their soul. The spiritual warfare is real, especially if you think about Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. It speaks of these principalities and powers, these spiritual forces of wickedness and darkness that are in this world battling against the, the goal that we're trying to, to do as Christians. Intercession is, is so important when it comes to this mission of the gospel. But if we stop there, we have stopped far short of accomplishing the mission. You know, praying is obviously a big part of it, and the eventual goal is to get to the point where we're actually inviting them into a relationship with Christ, we're inviting them to be in relationship with us as the church, but tonight we're going to talk about this really important step in between, which is us as God's people taking the time to invest in people's lives for really the purpose of building trust with them showing them that we care, showing them that we truly love them. That way the message they get from us will be received as one who cares. Can I tell you something? If some stranger off the street gives me a message, I may or may not take it seriously. But if the person such as my wife or one of my close friends brings me a message, I will receive it totally differently. Why? Because it's somebody that I know cares for me, somebody that I know loves me, somebody I know who has taken time to invest in my life. And so this is kind of the idea. It is we're, this is a step in between intercession and prayer and inviting them that we're taking time to get to know them, taking time to come alongside of them and, and see what their needs are. Now some would say, well, isn't the gospel enough? I mean, why do we need to have this step? It's true, the gospel is enough. And there are times that I, I believe that um, we're called to, we're at the store, we just meet some random person God places on your heart to share something with them. We do it in that moment, people get saved like that. That's fantastic. But I will say this, and I believe this wholeheartedly, I, I believe by far the far, far the far most effective way of reaching people with the message of the gospel are reaching those people that are already in our lives, 
our family members, our co-workers, our neighbors, our friends, these people that we're investing our life into to get to the point where they trust us enough to receive this message of truth that we're trying to get to them. And that's really what we're going to be talking about here tonight. Now, as we think about this idea of investing, so now we're going to be looking at this passage here in 1 Thessalonians where we see um, Paul, Paul talking about a time where he and his, his friend Silas um, were actually going about on this missionary journey where they were out sharing the gospel, um, trying to proclaim this message. And this whole passage is just beautiful because it really shows us a, a good picture of what it's going to take for us to accomplish this task of really bringing forth the gospel. And especially in this one, with a, with a, this, this idea of, of truly taking the time necessary to invest in people's lives that really opens up the door, almost gives us permission to speak into their lives. Now, a little bit of background on the, ch- the church at Thessalonica, really, is this Thessalonians were the people there. Um, these people were in a major port city in the Roman Empire, and they were very wealthy. Um, they were full of all kinds of pagan religion, and, and so uh, if you can imagine that these people um, who had pretty much everything they wanted, very wealthy, very rich, had very little need of anything, and, and Paul was coming in trying to tell them th- about their greatest need. Well, this was obviously a challenge, right? Um, it's challenged that it is oftentimes here in the United States to people that are, that are happy and, and well-fed and, and have everything they need, trying to convince people that there's still something that they're missing. They look around at their lives and go, what possibly could that be? And yet Paul had this message of the gospel really to share with them, which was their greatest need of all. And so how did he... How did he cross that threshold? How did he gain permission to speak into their lives? As we're going to see here, as we walk through this, it's because he took the time to show them the difference that Jesus can make. He took the time to get to know them. He took the time um, to really build that trust so that he could proclaim this message and they would end up receiving it. Now, as we think about this, there's just a few things that I want to talk about when we think about investment. And the first one is this, is that investment is going to take effort on our behalf. If you look back at verses 1 through 3, look what he says here. You, you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you is not a failure. You know how badly we have been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Now, before Paul and Silas ever got to Thessalonica, they went to this place called Philippi before that. And you can read about this actually in Acts chapter 16. It's a pretty amazing story. When they get to Philippi, there's this young girl there who's possessed by a demon who is telling everybody their future. And this little girl is owned by somebody, which he was getting rich off of her. He was making all this money. And anyways, Paul and Silas were there. They were proclaiming the gospel, and this young girl would not leave them alone. Leave them alone. They kept pestering him and, and pestering him and almost mocking them, saying, Oh, these are servants of God. These are, these are people who are trying to tell you how to be saved. And th- she was speaking truth, but she was doing it in a mocking way. And, and it says that, that Paul got to this point where he was just fed up with her and really annoyed her, and he turned to her her and cast the demons out. And, and then she was no longer useful to this man because she no longer had the power from these demons to tell people their future. So this made him angry and he stirred up the whole town against Paul and Silas. They get chucked into prison. And that's where you have this at midnight. They in their prison time, began singing and praising the Lord and worshiping the Lord, and there was this great earthquake. Their chains came off, and the jailer freaks out because he thought everybody was gone. He was about to kill himself because if you don't think about this time, if you as a jailer would have let prisoners go free, you get the death sentence. 
bad time for you, right? And so anyways, Paul and Silas are like, no, 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 don't worry about it. We're still here. We're still here. This jailer ends up inviting Paul and Silas to his home. He gives his life to the Lord. His whole family gets saved, and they get let go. And then they end up in Thessalonica, which we can read about in actually in Acts chapter 17. If you look at the second part of verse 2, he says, Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition as well. It wasn't just all cherries and ice cream when he got to Thessalonica. I mean, he faced, they faced trouble there too. They were going into a, a city who there was a lot of Jewish people at the time. They were very, very much in opposition to the message of Christ. And in fact, during this time, one of um, the, the people that Paul and Silas knew named Jason, he was actually taken and beaten and taken out of his house because they were trying to basically interrogate him, trying to figure out where Paul and Silas were. And it was, this was kind of the environment that they were trying to get this gospel across, even there in Thessalonica. Now, one thing that I can tell you is when it comes to this idea of bringing forth the gospel, right, when we're interceding on people's behalf, investing in their lives in hopes to get to the point where we can share the gospel of Christ with them, this is something I will tell you that is not easy. It's hard. It's hard because there is fierce spiritual warfare involved, not just on the part of the people who are blinded, but on the part of the one trying to give it. Satan is very, very much against us going out to proclaim the gospel. Have you ever wondered why whenever you had that opportunity, everything in you started to well up with fear? You started to get shaken, you get nervous, you're sweating. Like, what is this? I can't talk to them. All these thoughts coming. That's Satan. This is not easy. It's difficult. Can I say, tell you something? When it comes to us sharing the gospel, Satan will do anything he can to cause fear in us, to distract us, to compromise us in some way. Any tactic he can use in his arsenal, he will use it to keep us from sharing the message of the gospel with people. We just need to understand that from the forefront that this job is hard. So we can't do it on our own strength. We, we have to be motivated by something greater. First of all, really needs to be our love for God. If you look down at verse 4, he says, look, look, he says here, for, for if we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news, what does he say here? Our purpose is to please whom? Not people, he says. It's to please God. He alone examines the motives of our hearts, right? And so, so this whole idea is, is he's saying that the primary motive of Paul and Silas's life should be the primary motive of our life. The only reason they went through the, what they went through in Philippi and went through what they went through in Thessalonica so they could share the gospel was first and foremost because they loved God that much. They knew that they were the messengers of God to these people, no matter what they had to face. Their love for God was greater than the fear they had of what would happen in sharing the gospel. We have to be motivated by our love first and foremost for the Lord, but it doesn't stop there. It's also a motivation of, of selfless love for the people around us. Look back at verse 3 here. He says, so you can see we're not preaching with deceit or any type of impure motives or trickery. You get over to verse 5. He says, we didn't try to win you with flattery, as you well know. God is your witness that there were, they weren't pretending to be your friends just to get some money. As for human praise, they didn't seek that from them. It wasn't about that at all. Paul and Silas came at their own expense. They didn't ask anything from the people. They didn't ask to be paid. And this was something that was totally foreign to these people. I mean, th these people were used to people 
coming and exploiting them for money. Like, I know it was in Philippi, but this was a very common thing that would go on during this day. People would exploit others, others for spiritual things. In Philippi, it was they, he would use this girl, and they would have to pay this man lots of money for this girl to give them their future. And yet, Paul and Silas came with this greater message, this amazing message of truth, and they didn't ask for anything. In fact, they gave completely of themselves. They didn't come there to get famous. They didn't come there for, for people to be amazed by their amazing oratory skills. It was none of that. It was just motivated by their love for God and a genuine selfless love for these people that they were trying to reach. Can I tell you something? When it comes to this mission of the gospel, it has to be a selfless one or it's going to fail. Like, our goal isn't to get people here so that we can get their money. And sometimes, unfortunately, that's the goal of our society. We've got to go out and get people to our church so we make more money. No, that's not the reason. The goal isn't to go and gather as many people here so we can be the, we can be the church in town that everybody looks to and go, boy, I hope I can attain that someday. No. No, that's not the goal. The goal is simply a love for their souls. It doesn't matter. It's, it's not about what we get out of it at all. It's about God's glory and them people receiving Christ. That's it. We need to be motivated by those two things, or I can tell you that they will fail. But mo motivation is not all we need. Um, as we're going to see here in a moment, Investment not only takes effort on our behalf, it also takes empathy on our behalf. This idea of empathy is the idea of being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. It's, it's the idea of being able to share and understand what somebody else is going through and try to reach them like that. I mean, you know, it's kind of a cliche statement, but it's true that, that, that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it's true. This idea of investment is all about showing people that we're genuine. That we're not out for some selfish motive. We're not out to get anything. We're out to give them the greatest gift of all. Now let's look then at verse, um, verse 7 and 8 here. He says, As apostles of Christ, we certainly had the right to make demands of you. But instead, this is we were like children. Really, the idea there, most translations translated it as gentle or, or even meek. He said, oh, we were like a mother feeding and caring for her children. We, we loved you so much that we shared not only you God good, God's good news, but also our lives to him. Just, just think of the thing here. He says, look, we were, we were meek among you. We didn't, we didn't come with arrogance. We came with humility. We, we came like a nursing mother. Why would he use that? Because a nursing mother gives of herself. Like literally she pours herself out for the, the nourishment of, of that child. It's the idea that they, they poured their lives out. We can even see that. We gave our lives too. It's like they, they poured everything out of themselves for the sake of these people. Why? Because they love them. They, they literally cherish these people because they saw them as God saw them, as souls. Now, as we, as we think about this idea of empathy, it's really the idea of trying to put ourselves in people's shoes, trying to reach them with, with any means possible. And the idea, just like here, it takes humility. It takes pouring themselves out. It's like a mother would be with a nursing baby, bringing them close. 
doing anything by any means we can do to somehow build that trust to help them know that we care, to help them know that we, we love them. Really, that's what empathy is. It's just this idea that, that I see you. I see your needs. I see where you're coming from. I see the problems you're dealing with in your life, and I, I want you to know that I care. And this is what Paul and, and Silas clearly did there. Now, as we think about that, when we think about what, what Paul and Silas did here, what, what this tells me is that they took the time to learn about these people's fears and doubts. They took the time to learn about these people's hang-ups, about the things that they experienced in their lives, kind of where they were at. This is the idea of investing our lives into people. It's taking time to get to know them so you can put yourself in their shoes and try to understand where they're at so the message you speak can be spoken directly to them. Now, the message of the gospel is simple, but who knows the way we share it at times sometimes is directed very, very specifically at a person dealing with a certain thing. Can I tell you something? That takes time to get to know them like that. Like that. I mean, think about this. Like, if, if people are dealing with, with stress or, or emptiness or hopelessness, you share the gospel different in those times, don't you? Because you show a side of Jesus that ministers to those different areas. Have you ever thought to yourself and reminded yourself of what it was like before Christ? Like, man, how would I have dealt with this without Jesus? The state of absolute hopelessness. How would I have dealt with life's problems? What about these people going through all these issues, financial issues, marriage issues, relational issues? How does somebody deal with those things without Jesus? This, this idea of empathy is putting yourself in their shoes, trying to understand where they are at, right? Why do we do that? Because we want to know where they're coming from. There, there are some people that are just absolutely angry with God for some crazy thing that happened in their life, some letdown, some loss, some grief, and they're just they're angry at the Lord. The only way you get to know that is by spending time with them and getting to know them. That way you can speak truth into that situation. You know, there's sometimes that, that, that people are just coming from a completely different worldview, from a totally different religion or something, you know, and the worst thing that we can do is just pop right out and tell them how stupid that is. No, it's the idea of loving them and building trust in their lives. Empathy is all about taking the time to know someone so that you can put yourself in their shoes and meet them where they are at. I mean, think about this. Remember the time when you were, before you were saved. Put yourself back in those shoes. I know that's a long time for, for some of us, but I think at times something that is good for us to do is, is remind yourself of that time before Christ and ask yourself, you know, what reservations did you have about God? What, you know, what were some of those questions that you, that you had? What, what were your doubts before you ever came to Jesus? You know, I mean, that, that thought of putting yourself into somebody's shoes, like how in the world could a relationship with some man 2,000 years ago save my soul and land me in heaven? I mean, when you think about that, it really is kind of a crazy story. Like this common Jew from Israel 2,000 years ago died on a cross and I'm supposed to believe that that's someday going to land me in a place where streets are made of gold? I mean, you think about that story. I mean, it really is a, 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 like a, a wild tale. We know it is truth. 
But when, when the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.18 that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, put yourself in their shoes, and in doing so, remember where they're at so you can come alongside of them and help them explain it. And help them understand it as you explain the, the little details of what this means and, and why that man came and, and why that man died on a cross and how that made it possible for us to come to heaven. You know, it's this idea of empathy again, just putting yourself in their shoes so you can understand where they are at, so you can bring the message in a way that meets them where they're at. So important. This is something Paul and Silas clearly did with these people. Not only does it take empathy, it also takes endurance. If you look at verse 9, he says, Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preach the good news to you. Look at the words he used, labor, this idea of, the idea of bold, um, bodily and intellectual exertion, which, you know, it just, it just took time, right? They, they toiled among the people night and day, this idea that they never gave up, they never stopped, they continued pressing forward with these people because they cared. See, we have to ask ourselves, how far are we willing to go to reach somebody for Jesus? Can I tell you something? It's a rarity that somebody hears the gospel and responds right then. Most of the time it takes days, weeks, years of interceding on their behalf and loving them and showing them Jesus. It takes years. How far are we willing to go? How much are we willing to endure on their behalf? You know, Scripture all over the Bible talks about this work of the Lord as labor. Paul, when he introduces most of his letters, he, he describes himself, Paul, a bondservant or a bondslave of Christ. It's the idea that I'm attached to Jesus. It is my mission. No matter how long it takes, it doesn't matter. I'm going to keep on pressing on because I belong to him. And it takes endurance. The gospel mission is something that takes immense, immense sacrifice on our part. It's something that's going to take time. It's going to take getting involved in a person's life. It's going to take getting to know these people. And that's something that just doesn't happen overnight. It's something that takes work. You know, as we're investing in people's lives, we're building this relationship, as we're learning where they're at, you know something? They're going to ask you questions sometimes you don't know the answer to. What do you do then? You go to work and you find out the answer. It takes work. In, in our culture, we have people that have scads of different beliefs about this whole thing. It takes work to meet people where they're at. It, there's this big fancy word called apologetics. It's just basically the idea of learning how to defend the gospel against different belief systems. It, it takes work, but it's, but it's worth it. You know, we need to answer the question, like, what does the Bible say about the issues these people are facing? You know, what, what testimonies do we have for things they're going through in their life? This takes work to pour ourselves into them. It's not easy. It's going to take endurance, but we've got to keep moving. It's not just endurance that it's going to take. It's also going to take our example. If you look at verse 10, he says here, you yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were what? Devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. This is the idea that they were sincere. They, they, they were honest. They just told it how it was. They didn't sugarcoat anything. 
that they were faultless before them. It was the idea that they, when they were around them, they lived as much like Jesus as they could. They, they truly tried to be the light to these people. Can I tell you something? People are watching this. You know, I, I hate that idea of Christians living in a glass house, but it's true. People, if, you, if you're a Christian, if people know it, they are examining your life. The things you do, the things you watch, the things you listen to, the way you talk, they're examining us, and we need to know this as God's people. Because if something we, if we truly care about them, there are things that may be perfectly okay in our lives we think we can do, but if we truly care, we'll abstain from those things for the sake of reaching them. It's just, how much do we love people is the question. See, we need to ask ourselves around people, what do we look like to them? Are we people that are displaying the love of Christ? Are we people that are joyful or are we miserable? Are, are, we, are we people that are, that are complimentary to others or are we people who are critical? Like if the only picture of Christ is what people saw in us, would they want to be like us? Would they want what we have? These are the type of questions that we should ask ourselves all the time. What type of an example are we showing these people? Because our, our example is a crucial part of our witness for Christ. As we saw back in 1 John, we went through that here a number of weeks ago. 1 John 1, 7, we're called to live in the, in the light as God is in the light. As Matthew 5, 16 says, So let your light shine, why so people can see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We're called to shine the light of Christ in our lives. Why? Because light exposes what's in the darkness. Light exposes, when they see joy in us, it exposes their misery. They are going to see that they're missing something that we have, but the only way they're going to see that is if they see it in our lives. I love what Peter said in 1 Peter 2.9. That we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Can I tell you something? If we are walking in darkness, we can't bring light to the people in darkness. We're called to walk out of the darkness, not in it. We're called to be light bearers of Christ so that the people in darkness can see. That's our job, to bring this to people. I love what Titus said in Titus 2, 11 and 12, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying um, ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. I mean, this is our mission, to live like Jesus, not just proclaim Jesus, to live like Jesus. Are we going to be perfect? No. I wish. Are we going to fall on our face at times? Sure. But that doesn't mean that we still can't live like Christ. When we fall on our face, get back up. If you offend somebody, apologize and make it right. If you slip up and do something stupid, admit it. Many times, those are the times that give us opportunity to speak the grace of God. Because we can tell them in those moments that, look, we aren't up on some pedestal. We aren't some perfect people. We're, 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 we're wretches just like you are. The only difference between me and you is that I have Christ covering me. His blood has washed away my sins and I stand holy and blameless before him. As you can see, it ain't on my merit. It's only on his. And you can have the exact same thing. We could use those times for God's glory. 
As we think about this idea of investment, it, it takes effort and empathy and endurance and example, but Paul didn't stop here. He also shows us the importance of, of encouragement in people's lives. Let's first look at verses 11 and 12. He says, And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy, for he called you to share in his kingdom and his glory. Again, he this idea, I just love these words, this idea of pleading with them, um, doing anything they could to convince them through words or advice. This idea of encourage was to, just to cheer on, to urge, to give direction, to give counsel. And he describes this, he says, it's interesting, he says, children, we were like a mother to you. And here he says we were like a father to you. It's just interesting that he uses all these different things. You know what that tells me? It tells me that we have to reach different people different ways. There's, there's some people that we reach like with, with meekness and, and humility. There's some people we reach with, with nurturing and love and care. And there's some people we reach like a father does his children and says, Listen! And open your eyes. You know the difference? Like, there, there is a massive difference between a mother and a father. A, a mother very much is a nurturer. Where, generally speaking, a father is a lot more in your face. This is just how the way, this is just the way it is. I mean, generally speaking, and now think about this, right? Who remembers, well, maybe some of your older ones, when you learn to swim? Now, mothers these days... We'll be in the pool with them, holding baby, or they'll have enough flotation device on them to, to make them float through a hurricane, right? But not dads. Maybe some of you had this experience. I remember um, when I was young, if my dad's listened to this, he knows what I'm talking about. When I was young, I was up in Michigan at a place called Dawson Lake. My kids know it well, one of my favorite places in all the world. And he says, son, it's time to learn to swim. Okay. And he picks me up, and he chucks me out in the lake in the deep end. And he says, sink or swim. Anybody else learn how to swim that way? Incredible way to do it. And it actually worked. Now, a father may go about nurturing his children differently than a, than, than a mother does, but it doesn't mean that there's less love. Uh, a father may throw the kid into a deep end to learn to swim, but can I tell you something? A father would never let him drown. There's just different ways of going about it. Instead, he would jump in the water and help them understand the basic principles of the task and then encourage them to try again. And see, what, what he's, this idea of encouragement that I'm talking about here, as, as, as we see in verses 11 and 12, is, it's not the little pat on the back, come on, you can do it. No, it's something different than that. It's this idea of a strong encouragement that leads people to see the reality of their situation. I remember when um, I took my kids skiing, um, we're standing at the top of a really steep hill, and I believe it was Brandon, and he says, I want to go down this. And I said, go right ahead, but just so you know, it's going to hurt. And sometimes we just need to be brutally honest with people when it comes to the gospel. And we need to let the Lord lead us in those situations, but can I tell you something? If people don't understand why they need Jesus, why would they come? If they don't understand the consequences of their sin, why would, they realize, why would they think they needed a Savior? The gospel without the reality of rejecting it isn't near as powerful. Meaning, if a person does not give their life to Christ, there's going to be a day that they stand before Jesus and it's not going to end well. If they have rejected Christ here, he will reject them on the day of judgment. 
They will hear, away from me, for I never knew you, and they will spend eternity in a place called hell. This is the reality of the consequences of sin. If people reject Christ, the only thing they have going for them on that day is their own good deeds. Their only hope is that their good deed somehow balances out the bad ones. Can I tell you something? The Bible says one sin's enough. The wages of sin is death. You ever wonder why hell's for eternity? We've sinned against an eternal God. Think about this. Our only hope to heaven, apart from Christ, is getting there by our own merit. And the people in hell will spend an eternity thinking about that. Because it would, it, would, it would take people an eternity and then some to compensate for one sin. They've rejected a holy, eternal God, and that's why they're going to spend eternity in a place called hell. We need to strongly encourage people, not just of the negative things, but strongly encourage people to this reality that God will accept them just the way they are. It doesn't mean they stay where they're at. But you know, many people look at their lives and they don't think that God wants them. How many people, you bite the church, I have the place to burn down if I walk through the doors? Nah. You know what my Bible says? God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. We need, to, there's the reality, we need to be brutally honest with people about the reality of our sin and the reality of rejecting him. But we also need to be honest about this reality that you could not go far enough in your sin that God will not save you. It don't matter what you've done in your past. It doesn't matter how many times you've failed, how many times you've fallen on your face, how bad a thing, it doesn't matter. Because what Christ did will cover all of it if you just come to him in faith and receive it. And something else I think that we need to get people, get across to people is just how much God loves them. Yes, God's a just God and he will judge people who reject him. But for those that receive him, for as bad as hell is, flip that 180 degrees and that's what you're going to receive for eternity in the presence of God forever and ever and ever. I love Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. I just love this passage, this picture. It says, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even while we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved and he has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. Listen to verse 7. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches, the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you realize that for eternity we are going to get the full, like the full picture of God's love for us? The full measure of all that he has to give, we're going to have that forever and ever and ever. People need to see that. People need to hear that. But I tell you something, this is the message that takes time to get across people. We need to love them enough to invest in their lives. If we do, friends, our communities can be transformed. Lives of people can be changed. But we have to commit to this. 
As we close, I just want to ask you a question. As you think back on your spiritual journey, who was it that prayed for you? Who was it that invested their life into you to, to show you God's love? Can I tell you something? The reason you're here today largely is because those people are faithful. I know God's sovereign in our salvation, but can I tell you something? That he uses people to reach people. And, and we're here because of the faithful love, the faithful service, the unfaithful investment of somebody else that invested in our lives. Let's be that person for somebody else. These little cards are on the table. Intercede, invest, invite with some little lines on the back. If you haven't taken one of them yet, take one. Pray and ask God, Lord, who are the people in my life that you want me to start praying for? That you want me to start investing my life into? And when he gives you those names, write them on the back of the card. And then put it to prayer. And then ask God to give you opportunities to begin investing in their lives. Praying that at some point you're going to get the opportunity to share Jesus with them. That's what this is all about. It's not just some gimmick we're trying to do. Let's do this and let's put it to prayer and let's be serious about it. And let's see what God can do as we're faithful to our call. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you, Father, for your word and for um, just the, the instruction, the encouragement from the Apostle Paul and his, and his friend Silas, God, who did this work, who invested their lives in these people in Thessalonica, Lord God, and as a result of that, Father, these people gave their lives to you. They gave their lives to you, Lord. Paul and Silas loved them enough to do what it took to reach them with the gospel because, God, they were motivated by their love for you motivated God by what you did for them in their lives, Father, and they, they love these people enough to impart this gift of the gospel to them. Lord, let us, let us follow their example. God, move in our hearts. Put people on our hearts. Please, God, give us the grace, the faith, the boldness to do this work. And God, as we do, I pray that you would use us, that many people would be saved, many lives would be touched and changed, God, because you have come in and you have transformed them. God, that's our desire and that's our goal. Heavenly Father, as we close this service out, Father, I just pray for anybody here that's never received Christ as Savior. If there's anybody in this room that's never made that decision, Heavenly Father, let them not leave this place without it. Father, it's the greatest decision they'll ever make in their lives. You sent Christ to a cross that we could be saved, and I pray that they would in faith realize, Lord God, that they are a sinner in need of a Savior and turn to faith, believing that Christ went to a cross, died and rose again, just asking him in their life to be their Lord and their Savior. Father, I just pray that if they ever made the decision, God, tonight, they would make that choice and be saved. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God, as we close, uh, we're going to sing a song.